we've been doing a series on the book of Philippians, and for those of you that are newer or new, uh, we kind of want to bring you up to speed as to where we're coming from and how cool the Bible is and how relevant it is for each one of our lives. So we'll get to George in a minute. Um, does he feel welcome right now? Huh? Okay. All right. All right. So if you have your notes, uh, they should be sitting nearby you. If not, um, you can grab them, those of you watching online. Um, you can pull them up on the web page or the Facebook page and track with us. So, yeah. On December, now we already talked about December. We're going to move into April. April 2008, 26-year-old Catherine Wolf suffered a massive brain stem stroke. She didn't lose her life, but she lost her ability you know, to walk, to talk clearly, and really to care for herself. And she went from being a young mother to a wheelchair-bound patient. She endured 11 surgeries and daily fights to regain, regain her strength. And more than once, Catherine felt like giving up. And I don't know if you can identify with that slide on the screen. Have you ever felt like giving up? Maybe you came this morning and that's kind of where you resigned yourself, man. You know, life is tough. Life isn't fair. Well, that's where Catherine was at that time. And one of those occasions occurred a day before Thanksgiving, seven months into her ordeal, and this is how Catherine describes it. Despair washed over me as I watched my husband and his sisters playing with our baby, lifting him into the air and running around with him in circles, laughing out loud while I could barely even hold my head up because my neck wasn't strong enough yet. I found myself wondering, has God made a mistake? Maybe that's how you feel today. Maybe your life is a mistake. I've gone from making lasagna in my kitchen to being fed all meals through a tube in my stomach. I've gone from wearing a cute outfit every day to wearing hospital gowns. I should be in heaven right now. Then at least everyone's pain would eventually come to an end. Well, her loss could have been hardly more pronounced because from one moment to the next, her world flipped upside down. And yet, as her heart sank, man, you can imagine, um, Catherine said God stepped in. She writes, and then suddenly, before those thoughts had even fully landed in my head and my heart, I felt a deep awakening of the Word of God which I had known since I was a little girl. I could almost hear this rapid-fire succession of the truths of the Bible, like a dispatch from God himself. Catherine, you are not a mistake. I don't make mistakes. I know better than you know. I'm God and you're not. Remember that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. There is a purpose in all this, trust me. 
I am working out everything for your good. Don't doubt this truth just because you are in darkness now. What's true in the light is true in the dark. I know you can't fight this. That doesn't matter. All you have to do is be still and let me fight for you. Because I will complete the good work I began when I gave you new life. I will carry it on to completion. Believe that. My nature is to redeem and restore and strengthen. This terrible season will come to an end. You will suffer for a little while, and then I will carry you out of this. I have chosen you. Life, live a life worthy of this special calling you have received. And Catherine said something really supernatural ignited within her. In those moments, those truths began to hit me. God met me in the midst of the messiness of my life. And I felt fresh determination to press on and to persevere. I suddenly felt extraordinary in spite of my terrible pain. That moment changed everything for me. It was my epiphany of hope. I knew deep inside that my earth suit was only temporary. I would never lose heart in this situation because my soul was not what was wasting away. My body didn't work, and that was all. This morning, maybe you can identify with Catherine Wolf. You're never alone because God sees you. He's working in your life, and he will be there to help you. What Catherine Wolf went through physically... You can see the slide of, um, man, she and her husband going through some brutal times together. Well, they're together, writing books, traveling, sharing her story about the faithfulness of God through it all. And friends, what a testimony it is for you and I, no matter what we go through, God is with us every step of the way. And the cool thing that I see in Catherine's life is that she did not go bitter and angry at God, but she opened her heart for God to work in and through her to bring honor to him. The Apostle Paul was doing the very same thing when he wrote this letter to the church in Philippi. And in Philippians 3, let's go ahead and... Go there, starting in verse um, 13. I don't, well, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Catherine Wolf realizes that very thing. The same thing that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi became relevant in Catherine Wolf's life. And even today, it can become relevant to you. And so, let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. Let's pray. Father, thank you 
for this letter that has been contained in the Bible so that we can relate our life experiences in a very practical way because of your great love, Lord, your faithfulness. Catherine Wolfe experienced that tenacity that we just read about. There's people in this room this morning that need to be encouraged in the same way, just like the church in Philippi needed to be encouraged, Lord, in those days. And you know each one of us, and you know where we're at, and we pray, Lord, for your help and your involvement in each one of our lives. We say yes to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Second Corinthians 5, 9 says, our goal is to please him. That's Paul writing to the church at Corinth. Our goal is to please him. That's what the church in Philippi got. Paul's goal was that they would live to please God. The message puts it, cheerfully pleasing God is the main thing, and that's what we aim to do regardless of our conditions. You know, that's where Catherine Wolf landed in her life as well. Cheerfully pleasing God is the main thing, and that's what we aim to do regardless of our conditions. Let that be a source of hope for you this morning, no matter what you're going through. We see that the Apostle Paul had been maligned. He had been beaten and imprisoned. And so in my Bible reading plan, I'm in the second book of Corinthians. That's why I'm kind of bringing up these verses, because... What a great book. And um, in 2 Corinthians, when we talk about Paul being maligned, beaten, and imprisoned, he's under house arrest in Rome at this time of, of writing this letter. In 2 Corinthians 4, 8, it says, We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. Sounds like Catherine Wolfe. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus would be evident in our dying bodies. How's that working out for you this morning? Huh? Is the life of Jesus evident in the way you're living your life to those around you? And so we live in the face of death, but this has resulted in eternal life for you. In chapter 6, the same book, we have been beaten, put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights and gone without food. We prove ourselves by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us, and by our sincere love. We are ignored even though we are well known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. <laughs> our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. Is that good? That's where Paul's coming from, man. And he's writing. He's, in, he's under house arrest. And, and this is a praetorium guard. 
They're the elite military force of Rome in that day. And Caesar had Paul arrested and chained to a praetorium guard, 18 inches of chain. Man, you talk about, if you ever go fishing, you know, and you use, a, you use a lure and you bring that fish in, he's out there and then he comes into your boat or into the net, right? Well, Paul was in the net all the time, so to speak, 18 inches. That's the only distance between he and the Praetorium Guard, 24-7. So this is going on day after day, and do you think Paul is saying, woe is me? Hmm? Woe is me. Catherine Wolf, man, her world turned upside down. Is she saying, woe is me? No, no, no. She's saying, Lord, live through me. That's exactly where Paul's coming from. In the short letter, the city of Philippi in the, the nation of Greece, there is no hint of bitterness, man. There's no hint of resentment against God. Paul has entrusted his life with Jesus Christ, and he's fired up for the opportunity that he has to talk to George and every other guard that he's locked onto. A face-to-face conversation about the great grace of Jesus Christ. He's all in. Paul is fully committed. And so since Paul founded, planted that church in Philippi, man, there's a special connection with that church. And he realizes 10 years after being there, planting that church and being under house arrest... He's making a connection through this letter, man, to encourage that church to stay alive and vibrant spiritually. Because he's hearing some things, man, that the people in the church are, some are becoming discouraged, some are just kind of coasting along spiritually. And Paul knows if you're going to thrive in this life, you have to be growing day after day in your walk with Christ. We cannot afford to coast. And some of those people in Philippi were doing that. So Paul is talking about that, and have we seen the maps yet? No. So this is Paul's second missionary journey, and here's Jerusalem over here, and he, he's up in Philippi right here. So let's go to the next one, and um, a little closer to home. Um, here's Philippi up here, and... That was the known world of the day. And then the next slide, um, Paul is in Rome, and he's writing to the church in Philippi, 800-mile distance right there for that day. So that's where we are uh, as we bring that up to speed. So number three in your notes, just a quick review. I will allow God to work in me. Will Will you let God work in you? Yes. Will you? If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. Paul realizes that you can't make people become spiritual. You, you can't do it. Paul realizes, just like he, he had to put his faith in Christ. And by doing that, something incredible happened to him. He saw a life change, transformation in his life. And that's what's cool, I think, at Live Church, man, is seeing the changes in people when we say, 
and we allow God to work in us, we see life change happen. And we celebrate that. We do. And so having conversations with you, man, face to face, and you see God working. Oh, that's exciting. And so Paul is, is um, saying, man, these people, they're pushing back in the church of Philippi. There's some people there. Um, what do you do when people aren't growing spiritually? Do you harangue them? Do you make them feel guilty? Do you pour shame on them? No, Paul realizes that doesn't work. You demonstrate the vibrant relationship you have with Christ in front of them. See? You let your life do the talking. You pray for them. And you trust that the Holy Spirit will work in their lives. Because God is faithful. So if you don't see somebody growing and you're, man, you're frustrated, you're discouraged because of it, um, don't stop growing yourself. You stay locked into Jesus Christ. And uh, here's the thing. You continue growing. You choose that. So let's take a look at the bleachers out there. Um, nobody's in the stands. What happened? Well, at Life Church. People don't sit in the bleachers, man. They get on the game field. They're involved. Right? Man, when you serve, you grow. If you're in the bleachers, you die. You rot. I know that's discouraging. But to me, that is encouraging because everybody vacated the bleachers and are on the playing field. These days in 2022, it's time to get out of the bleachers and onto the playing field, man, and start serving. It's fun. All you got to do is look at the smiling of those dudes out in the parking lot. What does that tell you? They're having fun, right? Yeah, man. It's fun to serve. And when you give out, God pours fresh in, new into you. It's not old bread. It's new every day. Number four, I will stay on track, verse 16, but we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Paul is saying, let's grow in Christ. This is not going to be a one-man show, one-person show. He's saying, let's pursue him together. We're moving in the same direction together. So notice Paul includes himself when he's writing this letter. He said we, that's a personal pronoun, rather than you. He's not, he's not coming out, you need to do this. He said, we must hold on to the progress. See, he's including himself. That's important because if you and I ever come to that point where we think we have arrived spiritually, that's dangerous ground. It really is. And Paul recognized that. He said, we must hold on to the progress. So, I think in our world today, it's imperative that we, um, even going to church, we don't become comfortable sitting in the bleachers where we just think, well, I'm going to go check it out. It, it really is time to become fully engaged with your faith. And we're pursuing Christ together. And by doing that, it's coming together 
like here at Life Church, man. We're here together. We need each other in these days more than ever. We do. I think so. And Rick Warren, he, he puts it this way. When it comes to going to church, God doesn't want people just to attend church. He wants them to belong to a church family. Belonging. And that word is used in Romans 12, 4, and 5. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body and we all, what? We all belong. I'm a belonger. You're a belonger, man. We belong together. Aren't you happy for that? Man, you may feel like you've been cut off and you're the Lone Ranger, the Lone Rangeress. But when you become part of a church family, you're a belonger. You're part of God's family. He's got your picture on his refrigerator. So, we all belong to each other. That's why uh, last Wednesday in our, in our study, Rick brought up how right off the top in, in his book, uh, Purpose Driven Life, saying that church is not about you. It's about the other people. And so when people come in with this mindset, you know, it's all about me, it's what I want, what I enjoy, that's the wrong attitude because we belong to each other, right? I come to church because I get fired up when I see you because I need you. We need each other. So that's where Paul's landing. So Rick continues, if you made the switch from consumer to contributor, from attender to member, from longing to belonging, it's time, friend, because that's going to help you stay on track. It's going to help me stay on track. A church family helps you focus on God. Man, there's so many distractions. How about it? Going all the time, distracting. But by being part of the body of Christ, they keep us focused on God. It helps you face life problems. You're either coming into a problem, you're in a problem, or you're going out of a problem. <laughs> if we took a vote this morning, we'd probably have an even number. How many are you going into a problem? And then how many of you are coming out of a problem? You know, we, that's, Jesus said in this world you're going to have trouble. That's life. It really is. That's why we need each other. Jesus doesn't want you to do life alone. And then a church family helps you fortify your faith when you're in relationships with other people. They encourage you to keep going. They encourage you to remain faithful in your walk with Christ. So belonging to a church family helps you focus on God. It helps you face life's problems, and it helps to fortify your faith. Does that sound good to you? Man, I need that, don't you? I need it. So the sense is, man, if you think there's a time when you can just hit cruise control, how fun is cruise control? I use that going through Main Street, Mount Horeb. You know why? Because there's police everywhere. And they've got their radar waiting for me. 
So I beat them, and I'm ahead of the game. I put my cruise control on 25 miles an hour, and I smile and wave at them as I go by. <laughs> cruise control, man, it helps, because my foot tends to be inconsistent. <laughs> How about your foot? <laughs> yeah, man. So, so, spiritually, it's the same way. It's easy to put it on cruise control. I've been doing this a long time, you know, doing a long time. I'm, I'm good with God. No, Paul is saying, do not, do not uh, drift into that mindset that you've arrived and yet you're good to go forever and ever. That's dangerous ground. That word hold on means to walk in line with. It's a military term. Paul, as you know, he uses a lot of athletic and military terms, and he's using a military term here. It, per, it pictures soldiers marching in a row. Let's take a look at how, what that, look at that. They're marching in the same row, man. The idea is to keep in step. We're keeping in step with what's required. And the Philippian believers were told to and encouraged to march with God's word, to keep it the priority keeping in step with the same truths that Paul taught them 10 years earlier. The progress, that word progress in that verse, Paul wanted them to continue together in accord with the same passion to know Christ, to continue, to continue on. Jeremiah 6.16, this is what the Lord says, stop at the crossroads and look around, ask for the old godly way and walk in it. Travel its path, and you will find rest for your souls. But you reply, no, that's not the road we want. You know, when I read that verse, it reminds me of the woman on the beach in Thailand before the tsunami hit. I'm just going to sit here and watch. I don't want to do it God's way. And God is saying, man, it, I'm here. I'm here. I've forgiven you. I'm waiting for you to put your trust in me. I'm at the crossroads. And so... Where are you in this picture? Which road are you going to take? Are you going to take your own road? Or are you going to follow after Jesus Christ? Huh? We all have that decision to make, don't we? Stop at the crossroads, Paul. You know, Jeremiah is saying, look around. Ask for the old godly way. That's wisdom right there. And then walk in it. Travel its path. Put your, make your decision and travel on that road, and you're going to find rest for your souls. Man, do we need rest for our souls today? We do, man. Everything is kind of upside down in our world, and it, it kind of gives you some messes with your equilibrium of life. And God is saying, man, if you travel the path that I have for you, you're going to find rest for your souls. We need that. Let's choose it together. And so, um, which road are you on? Maybe you're stuck in the bleachers. Maybe you're doing your own thing. I would encourage you 
Catherine Wolfe kept her trust in God in the midst of a crisis. Paul, chained to a praetorium guard, celebrating the fact that the grace of God is amazing. And that's what God wants to deposit in your life, in my life today. Can we land on that godly path that God has for us? May we travel its path. May we find rest for our souls and say yes to him in the direction he wants us to go. Father, we thank you this morning for the great love of God, for God so loved the world. It doesn't say for God hated the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, to go go to the cross to carry our sin so that anybody, anybody, anywhere believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Lord, we thank you for that great demonstration of love. And we thank you how the Apostle Paul loved the church at Philippi so much he's encouraging them to stay faithful and strong in our walk with you. And so this morning, Lord, here we are. And all of us in this room watching online, we're at the crossroads and we're looking around. What should we do? It seems like everybody's going on this road, this path. But you tell us, take the old godly way. Choose that path. And you're going to find rest for your souls. Lord, speak to us this morning. Encourage us through your word to follow after you, to honor you, to allow you to work in and through us for your honor. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.